Hello, fellow law nerds. Welcome to our first episode of the 2023 season of Boom Lawyered, a Rewire News Group podcast hosted by the legal journalism team that is back on its bullshit. <laughs> I'm Rewire News Group's editor at large, Imani Gandhi. And I'm Jess Piccolo, Rewire News Group's executive editor. Rewire News Group is the one and only home for expert repro journalism that inspires you to change it up a little in 2023. And the Boom Lawyered podcast is part of that mission. So a big thanks to our subscribers and a welcome to our new listeners and viewers. And I would like to say that haircut is very fetch on you. Oh, thank you. Very fetch indeed. We needed to so, drop some garbage from 2020. Like four you know? to five inches of hair garbage. <laughs> so yesterday was the 50th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Or it would have been if not for the fact that the Supreme Court of the United States last term stripped the constitutional right to an abortion from people, from all of the people who might need one. All of the people. And I've been really like, I've just been struggling to wrap my head around this. And it's something that we've talked about since it happened. But truly, this is the first time ever in our history that the court has stripped away, has stopped recognizing a right that it has previously recognized. So like, what the fuck? How do you <laughs> commemorate something like that? How do you commemorate a right that the court has poof, erased? Well, I have an answer to that question. We are going to unflinchingly highlight what we can expect in this brave new post-Roe world, right? And that's what we're mm -hmm. going to do today. What can we expect going forward now that women and people capable of becoming pregnant have been relegated to second-class citizenship? Right? What happens post-Roe? Well, we're going to try and answer that. And it's going to be a theme throughout this season, because to be quite honest with you, there are so many post-Row consequences that literally I was writing this script, like what's going to happen after Row? And if I were going to use the entire script that I'd originally drafted, this would have been a telethon. Like you would have been calling in and doing pledges and donations. We'd have been handing out tote bags and we'd just be on the mic talking for 24 hours. We don't have that time. No. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk specifically about the consequences to black and brown pregnant people. Mm -hmm. And so the first consequence, the first thing that we're going to talk about is stereotypes, right? Mm. The stereotypes about black and brown women being bad mothers, about black and brown pregnant people becoming bad parents will become even more widespread. And, you know, on the one hand, stereotypes are terrible. And I don't like them, particularly about Black women, people in my community. But on the other hand, I'm kind of glad that we can just end the bullshit. Because for a long time, anti-choicers have been pretending to care about Black babies and the rate of abortion in the Black community. And it's nonsense. And frankly, they don't have to pretend to give a shit anymore. And I love that about this new journey for us, right? Because right. this country demonizes Black and brown women constantly, mm -hmm. constantly, even as this country demands full access to our wounds, right? Demands right. that we bear children with zero assistance from public programs, demands that black women 
um, birthed this country, essentially. And I say this a lot, and people might think that I'm being hyperbolic. I'm not. Black women birthed this country. The economic engine of this country was run on the products of Black women's wombs. And so I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the American economy, and perhaps even the global economy, would not be as strong if it weren't for 400 years of chattel slavery and breeding slavery, right? Totally. And, you know, so we're blamed for this economic destruction of the country that we built with our wombs, right? We're Mm -hmm. called lazy. We're called unfit. We live in crushing levels of poverty, again, even as we're expected to raise these babies that the government is forcing us to have. Black and brown women and people live in communities plagued by environmental toxins so that the babies that they have can't grow up in a health and safe environment. So these are all serious problems and they're going to become worse. So you've got that stereotype amplifying, which I agree with you completely. And then on the other hand, we have this exaltation, the elevation of white motherhood that is also happening on steroids. And, you know, we were we were given a little preview of this, even with the recent Supreme Court confirmation hearings. Right. The differences between Amy Coney Barrett and Justice Jackson. Did you know Justice Jackson is a mother. I mean, I know, but you wouldn't have known. You wouldn't (laughs) have if you were following those confirmation hearings. And had you been following the confirmation hearings of Justice Amy Coney Barrett, you would have known that she has an entire battalion of children, (laughs) right? A small army of small people willing to line up. It was practically the top line item on her resume. Conservatives put her forward because she was a mother. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something that was like an add-on. It was white motherhood has found a space on the bench. Like that was the theme for them. I've been spending more time than most people should watching uh, evangelical social media influencers. This is all they're talking about. It's an (laughs) occupational hazard. Uh, But it is all that they are talking about right now is the duty of white women to have as many babies as possible. It is a project of democracy as far as they are concerned. This is terrifying when we have those two stereotypes working in opposition because. That will get to the second thing, which leads to an increase of surveillance of black and brown pregnant people, right? And and this increase in surveillance is not new, right? Well, I should say the surveillance is not new. This increase that we're about to go through is new. But, you know, post-Roe surveillance of pregnant people is happening now, and it has been happening for decades. And Mm -hmm. a May report just came out in in 2022, May 2022, entitled, quote, The Pregnancy Panopticon, colon, Abortion Surveillance After Roe. And this report notes that abortion-hostile state actors, governments, agencies, and Mm -hmm. private entities are already using sort of cutting-edge digital technology to peer into women's pregnant people's internet search history, their location and GPS data on their phones, 
their text messages, their shopping online habits, their social media activities. You know, we are we live in a world where we put everything about ourselves. Well, a lot of us do. I do. But mm-hmm. all of myself online. So if you just connect the dots from my various social media profiles, and if you go into one of those those you know um, those apps or those services that can check on your internet search search history, there's a lot of information to be found that way. This surveillance infrastructure already exists. Mm -hmm. And now it is being trained and targeted on pregnant people in order to determine whether these people are seeking to, have sought to, or have successfully ended a pregnancy. And if they have done so, what were the mechanisms they used? Were those mechanisms illegal in the state that they live in? Do they live in a state where another state, for example, like Missouri, is trying to go into other states and grab up people who are helping Missouri residents get abortions? All of these sort of surveillance apparatuses, apparati, is that a word? They're all working in tandem to target pregnant people. Absolutely. And that surveillance that Imani just described will necessarily be heightened for black and brown uh, folks due to their increased point of contact between marginalized communities and the state. Right. And so this is across the board. Think of surveillance in the healthcare setting, for example. People who interact with healthcare uh, system will be more frequently targeted more often. And we know that healthcare workers have a tendency to snitch on black and brown folks more, even though it's the white folks who are doing things more often to danger our own pregnancies. That's just the racism baked into the cake. And then we've got the surveillance in public agencies. So the contact between black and brown folks in state agencies like Child Protective Services, there's just more opportunity for the state to be up in people's business. So this puts folks in marginalized communities in what I like to think of, I don't like to think of because this is all terrible, but what I think of as a damned if they do, damned if they don't kind of situation. If you find yourself pregnant and you are a black or brown person and you engage with with healthcare workers from the jump, you've just increased the chance that you will fall into the criminal justice system because of that structural racism. If you know that and you avoid healthcare systems because of that early aggressive contact, if anything goes awry in that pregnancy, well, guess what? You are now targeted for the failure to deliver a healthy baby to the state, which is really what we're talking about here. Right. It's terrible. It is terrible. And I love um, in Ellie Mistal's book, Allow Me to Retort, he talks about carrying the state's interest. Yes. Like, yeah, you're being forced to carry the state's interest to term. And that's real. And another point I wanted to bring up is that, I mean, if you think that healthcare, if you have any doubt that healthcare workers are snitches, do you remember that case of the woman who was eating poppy cake? See, yes. poppy seed cake. Yeah. And she went into the, into the hospital and she was like, yeah, I've been eating pop key se- poppy seed cake. And the nurse was like, yeah, that can kind of show up as an opiate. And then proceeded to call the cops anyway. Right. Like this is the sort of interaction with healthcare workers that's going to become very fraught, particularly for black and brown people. And that sort of increased surveillance is going to lead to the third thing that we're going to talk about, which is an increase in family separations. I have been talking about this for a really long time, about how abortion bans are part of this white supremacist project to increase white birth rates 
suppress black and brown birth rates, and then to civilize as many black and brown kids into, you know, Christo, Christo fascist theocrats that they can, right? They don't want strong black people who have ties to their black communities born. No, they want to strip these people from those communities and thrust them into white middle-class Christian evangelical families in order to assimilate them. Right. Okay. Hold up though. Yeah. You're going to have to, cause that seems counterintuitive suppress black and brown birth rates. Can you walk us through that? Because I mean, it's I, like to me, abortion bans, increase birth rates. Yeah. That makes sense. What do you mean? Well, Part of the part of the issue, as I talked about before, right, they've been keening for so long about abortion is black genocide and we have to save the black babies. Mm, and, you know, okay. the most dangerous place for a black child is in the womb. We saw those billboards about how black women could potentially be killing the next Barack Obama by getting abortions. Well, they don't really care. I mean, are you going to really sit here and try and convince me that white Christian evangelicals are upset that there aren't enough black and brown children in this country. No, I'm not going to do that. Absolutely not. But what they were able to do is play on the heartstrings of these white Christian evangelicals who like to think that they are racially enlightened mm -hmm. and who like to think that by concerning themselves about the abortion rates in a community they don't belong to, they're actually somehow helping that community. But what really what they are trying to do is they are pa they have been passing these abortion bans on the backs of black and brown women, ostensibly to prevent black and brown children from being aborted in the womb. But that's not what they care about. They wanted to use that as an excuse so that they could get as Lori Bertram Roberts, the amazing Lori Bertram Roberts, once said to me, they want to get Becky in the trailer park to keep birth and babies. Right. Mm. That's what they want. They want white the Beckys and the Karens, the poor white women and pregnant people to keep birth and babies. Obviously, they want the middle class people and the upper class people, too. But it's really the poor folks that they have to really target because it's the poor folks who can't afford to take care of the babies that they're being forced to have. So they're going to try and get a lot of white folks to have babies. At the same time, they're going to try to prevent black and brown people from having the babies that they're being forced to carry to term, right? So they're going to do that either by tossing them into prison, which we're going to talk about next, or they're going to do that by things like forced sterilization, right? If yeah. you can, if you can convince a black or brown person that getting sterilized is going to somehow increase some benefit to them, whether it's public assistance, whether it's an early release from prison, that's happening, right? Yeah, I was just going to say, these aren't hypotheticals. No, these are not hypotheticals. They're telling black and brown people, if you get sterilized, it's coerced sterilization. It's not forced, but it's coerced. It's like right on the edge of force. We'll let you out of, out of jail, but you got to get sterilized first. There was a judge in Florida who was uh -huh. sterilizing black men and then releasing them from prison. You can get out, but we need to sterilize you. So no, I'm not going to sit here and believe that there are these benevolent white people who are really concerned about the black and brown birth rate and the birth rate, and they want more black and brown babies. They do not. They absolutely right. don't. They want right. more white Christian evangelicals. Right. Cause this goes hand in hand with the white evangelical adoption project. Mm -hmm. 
that is well underway and has been for some time. Imani and I talked about this last year when we were covering um, the Burkine case and the challenge to the Indian Child Welfare Act that is currently before the court right now. Whether or not white evangelicals have the opportunity to separate Native uh, and Indigenous children from their families and their tribes of origin because of a civilizing project. I mean, that's functionally mm -hmm. the way that they described it. And during oral arguments, Sam Alito bought into all of that hook, line, and sinker. I mean, go back to that episode. It is so wildly racist, the stuff that was coming out of Sam Alito's so mouth. Bad. But you're absolutely right. Like, this is part of their project to create an entire population of white Christians. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My stomach hurts. Yeah. And, you know, that's going to lead us to, to our fourth thing. This mm -hmm. increased surveillance doesn't just lead to an increase in family separation, but an increase in incarceration of black yeah. and brown people. And yeah. that's, you know, I mean, that's been ongoing for decades, but it's going to get worse. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So abortion hostile states have been prosecuting and tossing pregnant people in jail for years under dubious circumstances. Imani and I, for a hot 10 years now, have been talking writing, like just, you know, preaching about this. They use like a float test. Remember the float test oh with Pervy God. Patel? So we're, we'll get into, as Imani sort of teased up, we'll get into all of these kinds of like junk sciences, these prosecutions a lot in this, in this season. And definitely you're going to hear us talking about junk science and its connections with disinformation. But that was, you know, they're like, oh, well, we don't know if the, if, you know, the fetus and the baby that was ultimately delivered was ever alive. So we'll throw the lungs in some water and we'll see if they float. That's how we'll convict this person. Which right? is not scientific. Like that is not, that, that is a, not a scientific basis to determine whether or not a child took their first breath, right? Because if the child took a breath, then that changes the charges, the prosecution. So they just threw the lungs so in some water. Like, yeah, I, throw the just... lungs in some water like a Chia Pet um, in Alabama. I'm so sorry. Now I've got like a fetus Chia Pet in my head. We got to do that somehow. Off the rails first episode. But in Alabama, we're going to talk about this too next or next episode. So so stay tuned for that. But the attorney general is out there already being like, Alabama's going to prosecute you. Medication abortion, we're going to get you. We can use other laws like chemical endangerment because that makes your womb a meth lab. Mm -hmm. We're going to prosecute you. But I mean, the point is the war on drugs is coming to reproductive rights and justice spaces. Yeah. And, and I just want to talk a little bit more about the sort of the connection between reproductive rights and justice and prison abolition. Right? Oh, yeah. Because... Part of this white supremacist project relies on black bodies being funneled into the prison system, black mm -hmm. and brown bodies. You know, I watch, I've been trying to get Jess to watch British TV for four years now. It's not working. It's not just like, happen. no, I'm going to give up. But I love panel shows. I watch these British panel shows. There's this one show called QI and they did an episode talking about the incarceration rates in the United States mm -hmm. and just the faces of the people on the panel, the shock and horror on their faces when they, when the statistics about the number of people who are in prison in this country, they were just alarmed. And then they went on to talk about this sort of, 
the the slave labor that emanates from these prison processes, right? Like we have the 13th Amendment. The 13th Amendment forbids slavery yep. to a point. It doesn't forbid slave labor in prisons. And that's what we have, right? right. We have... We have systems built in place that are requ that require slave labor to run, right? Mm -hmm. If you on this panel show, they listed just dozens of products that are made by prison labor, either for no money at all or for 10 cents an hour. This country wouldn't be able to operate if not for slave labor. And so what are we doing now? We're turning healthcare into a felony. Right. We're saying that if you go and try to exercise your right to bodily autonomy, that is a felony in some yeah. states. And if you recall before, I think Florida was one of the first states to say, if you're a felon and you get out of jail, you can still vote. I would not be surprised if we start to see a reversal of that po that policy, particularly in Ron DeSantis's Florida. Right. Where. Felons will no longer be able to vote. As soon as you're convicted of a felony, you are stripped of your right to vote forever. And the reason why I believe that's going to make a comeback is because if you make healthcare a felony, if you make seeking an abortion, buying an abortion pill, helping somebody else get an abortion, if you live in a state like Illinois, for example, and you're trying to help a person in Missouri get an abortion, that could mean criminal charges for you because Missouri's trying to trying to reach outside its borders and yoke up people in other states for abortion-related quote-unquote crimes. I would not be surprised if we start to see a return of laws prohibiting felons from voting so that people can't vote for their own reproductive rights if they've been caught up by law enforcement for trying to get an abortion. It's just this vicious cycle that is meant to remove certain people from civic society and mm -hmm. remove their ability to re-enter civic society and find people, vote for people who are going to actually represent their rights in Congress, whether in state houses, what have you. It's it's a real depressing just trend that we are yeah. seeing right now. Yeah. And as we've seen, you know, um, law enforcement officers are often so friendly to oh. reproductive rights and justice folks yeah. and abortion seekers and providers. They're real and allies. black people. Very friendly. And black people, people in general. <laughs> broadly. Just they love black people. The police can't get enough of them. Can't get enough. Oh. Um, okay. So. Fifth thing that's going to happen is I'm not even I'm like, I'm not going to tee it up with like a funny, like finger gunny kind of thing, because it's it doesn't it, it doesn't deserve the treatment. Um, black maternal mortality in this country will not just continue um, at the pace that it is. It's going to get worse. And yeah. look, I just you're going to hear me say this all the time because I believe it in my bones. We are in the middle of the human rights crisis in mm -hmm. this country mm -hmm. um, and it is hitting black and brown uh, people the hardest as a result of these abortion bans. I've got some numbers that it's probably going to hurt, but we got to go through them. All right. In Mississippi. If you're a black person, your chances of surviving childbirth aren't great. Per the 2019 Mississippi maternal mortality rate, Black women accounted for 80% of pregnancy-related cardiac deaths. Did you say 80%? Black women accounted for 80% of the cardiac deaths. Of the pregnancy-related pregnancy -related cardiac, cardiac deaths. Let me be very specific that's, about that. That's right. not great. That's that's alarming. But continue, continue. Cardiac issues pop up 
like that. You know, I've had two pregnancies uh, successfully carry to term and the heart is one of those places that they're always really keeping an eye on. Okay. So in general, uh, the post-row maternal mortality increase for white women is 13% in Mississippi. All right. That's a lot. The post-row maternal mortality increase for black women, 39%. 39%. 39%. 39%. This is via Amanda Stevenson's The Maternal Mortality Consequences of Losing Abortion Access. In the event that anybody thinks I'm just making these numbers up for funsies. Oh, there are people who think that because on Twitter, someone was like, you just made that up. There's no way that a study could have been done that quickly. I'm like, hello, have you met Amanda Stevenson, a social science researcher from the University of Colorado at Boulder? Brilliant woman. Shut your face. She knows what she's talking about. Let's let's like put an even finer point on this. Black women in Mississippi are now 118 times more likely to die from childbirth than they are from an abortion. A hundred and eighteen times. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. How is that not genocidal? I mean, for years I've heard about how black, you know, abortions are black genocide. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that abortion bans are the real black genocide, right? I mean, particularly, I mean, it's bad across the country, but yeah. particularly in Mississippi, which is where the Dobbs case came from, right? Yep. The case that overturned Roe. We've got the welfare scandal there with Brett Favre and Tate Reeves just, you know, putting their hands in the in the in the state coffers and just sticking money in their own pockets. We've got Jackson, which has been without clean drinking water for a couple of months now. Mm -hmm. How in the hell are you going to tell Mississippians that they have to carry these pregnancies to term, particularly in heavily black Jackson, Mississippi, and then say to these people, Sorry, we don't have any water, any clean water for your baby. Eh, yeah. not our problem. Sorry, we don't have any public assistance because some jackass ex-football player stole it all. Yeah. What good is luck. going on? Yeah, good luck mixing up formula with that water that doesn't oh exist. God. Oh, my God. Neither exists. So and speaking of Amanda Stevenson, she's a friend of the podcast, a researcher and professor at the University of Colorado who has been on these issues for a long, long time. She had a study that published right at the end of June when the Dobbs decision was coming out that shows an estimated 50,000 ectopic pregnancies end up in hospitals each year. 50,000 ectopic pregnancies. Why do I bring that up? Because ectopic pregnancies are never viable. Ectopic pregnancies are, if untreated, always lethal to the person who happens to be pregnant. And, Amani, what's the treatment for an ectopic pregnancy? Well, if it's an ectopic pregnancy, you have to terminate it to keep the pregnant person alive. And when you terminate a pregnancy, why, Jessica, I do believe that's called an abortion. (laughs) it's an abortion right but that's 50,000 give or take abortions that need to be performed every year that now in states that require this end of fetal heart tones before that procedure can be performed that now requires a death panel to convene and decide whether or not 
we can have this procedure. Let's get some hospital administrators and a couple lawyers on the horn, Imani. Take their temperature. See what's going on. But Jess, I mean, aren't you being a little bit fear mongery when you say that that's 50,000 abortions that need to be performed? Because is is an abortion really the treatment for an ectopic pregnancy or is the treatment for an ectopic pregnancy some sort of not abortion, some sort of anti-abortion? I, I mean, I, honestly, I, I, I asked this question in jest, but this is the discourse that is going on among anti-choice circles because point of fact is, The anti-choice muckety-mucks, the people high on the food chain, they know what they're fighting for. They're fighting for personhood. They're fighting for the absolute elimination of anything abortion-related. And if that means some people have to die in the process, then so be it. But I have a sneaking suspicion that Becky, who went to Liberty University and was marching for life all through college, when she's 30 years old and she's lying on a hospital bed, waiting for hospital administrators and lawyers to determine whether or not she can have an abortion to terminate the pregnancy that is lodged in her fallopian tube. Somehow, I don't think when that person was marching for life, she thought that she was really marching for her own life rather than the quote unquote unborn. Because the fact of the matter is a lot of these folks don't know what they were marching for. And it is, it is a necessity for the people who do understand What's going on? But are 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 in, insist on lying to people about it. Mm-hmm. They have to make sure that people don't realize that ectopic pregnancies a can never be reimplanted. They are not salvageable under any circumstances. And in order to terminate an ectopic pregnancy, you have to get an abortion. People don't want to hear that. They're not ready for that. And so anti-choices are going to continue to lie and continue to castigate people like you and me as alarmists or liars, or fear mongers for telling the truth about medical science. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You know, it really is a brave new world out there in this post-row world that we're living in. And so we are going to spend a lot of this season talking about what comes next, right? We're going to talk about how there's going to be a propagation in junk science. We're going to talk about how there's going to be an increase in um, pregnant and pregnancy criminalization through the use mm-hmm. of things like chemical endangerment laws, which are meant to keep kids out of meth labs, but now are designated women's wombs as meth labs. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about this Christian theocratic project that is ongoing, that is a necessity for Christian evangelicals to win. And that's what you can expect from us this year. What, you, what you're what you not going to get is a whole lot of abortion trauma porn because while that's important, it is absolutely important for people to be informed about what is going on in terms of the individual cases, the individual ways in which these bans affect people. But at Rewire News Group, we think it's important to prepare you for what comes next, right? Last year, we prepared you for the end of row. This year, we're preparing you for you know, post row. And that includes preparing you for this white Christian theocratic project that is just marching along. I mean, that's, we're going to be returning to these issues more and more this season. So make sure you stay tuned. So stay tuned. We have to do a little nod though, because some things on the podcast are changing. 
We have got to give a huge shout out to Mark Folletti, our fearless producer and champion of which the Boom Layered podcast would not exist if it were not for his tenacious vision and insistence on hurting Amani and I like cats. Mark is transitioning into other things at Rewire News Group, which means he is leaving us in the hands of Austin and Cage, our wonderful multimedia team. But He's our behind the scenes guy. And the reason why Imani and I came into the podcast world together. And so it would not be right for us to sign off this episode without saying, Mark, thank you. Thank you, you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Really. It's been a pleasure, but we'll still see you. Oh yeah. You're not going anywhere. You're You're stuck with us forever. You are stuck with us. So if you want to talk to us about how amazing Mark Folletti is, our producer, corralling us over the past five, six years, or if you want to talk about anything we've talked about today, the post-row world, Jess and I are here for you on Twitter at Angry Black Lady. That's me. On Twitter, Jess is at Hegemami, H-E-G, to the E, to the M, to the O, to the M, to the M-M-Y. That was three M's. That was too many M's. Too many M's. Just, just put the appropriate amount of M's in that, okay? Also, you should follow Rewire News Group on Twitter, Elon Musk's Twitter notwithstanding. You should follow Rewire News Group also on Instagram. We're probably going to be branching out into TikTok soon, which is, wow, that's exciting. We're excited about that. So stay tuned for that. And otherwise... The what YouTubes. are we going to do, Jess? Oh, yeah, you have to the follow YouTube. us on the YouTubes. You've got to follow us on the YouTubes because we're on the YouTubes now. And if you don't want to follow us on the YouTubes, if you don't want to look at our beautiful visages as we talk to you about how amazing our producer was or how how sad this post-road new world is, you can sign up for subscribe to YouTube, youtube.com slash Rewire News Group. That's where all our podcasts are going to be. If you don't want that, get our podcast wherever you normally do. Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Overcast. Wherever, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. I don't know. They probably don't carry us. iHeartRadio has the podcast on Scrubs. And I know that's not part of what we're talking about here, but the Scrubs podcast is really great. Call us. <laughs> call us. Sama Faison and Zach Graff, call us. <laughs> anyway, um, what are we going to do, Jess? We're going to see you on the tubes, folks. We'll see you on the tubes, folks. Mm-hmm.